Welcome to Vox Day, Unfolding Scripture, a journey into the depths of the Bible, explored through the lens of Catholic teaching. In every episode, we unravel the timeless wisdom embedded in the Word of God, connecting the dots between Scripture, tradition, and our daily lives. Our guide on this journey is Dr. Augustine Newman, a distinguished Catholic theologian with over two decades of experience in biblical studies and Catholic doctrine. Dr. Newman brings a rich and profound understanding of faith and scripture. Together, we'll traverse the landscapes of the Old and New Testaments, delving deep into each book, each story, each verse, seeking to understand the heart of God's revelation to mankind. So grab your Bible, a cup of coffee, and let's unfold the scripture with Dr. Augustine Newman. Well, my dear friends, welcome back once more to Vox Day. Unfolding Scripture, I'm your host, Dr. Augustine Newman. As we continue our journey through the pages of Genesis, we find ourselves deep in the riveting chapters of 9 and 10. They act like a bridge that spans from the devastation of the flood to the very foundation of all the nations we see on the world stage today. Truly a breathtaking narrative filled with profound divine revelations. Let's begin with chapter 9. Picture this. God, in all his majesty, looks upon Noah and his sons and bestows his blessing, mirroring the blessing he once gave to our original parents, Adam and Eve. There's an echo here. The mandate is the same, to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Yet there's something incredibly new unfolding here as well. A covenant, an everlasting pact, is being established between God and Noah, and indeed, all living creatures. The rainbow, such a beautiful, ethereal phenomenon, becomes a divine signature, a celestial promise from God that he would never again bring about the cataclysm of a global flood. God's covenant comes with stipulations, though. There's a prohibition against consuming meat with its lifeblood still within it, and a law that guards the sanctity of life by prohibiting murder. These form the bedrock of a universal moral code that we still resonate with today. But chapter 9 isn't without its shadows. One rather unfortunate event stands out, Noah's inebriation and his son Ham's subsequent irreverence. This event culminates in a curse falling upon Canaan, Ham's son, a sobering narrative that adds a layer of complexity to this human divine drama. Then we reach the 10th chapter, The Remarkable Table of Nations. This is the genealogical tapestry weaving together the founders of 70 distinct nations, reaching out across lands we now know as Mesopotamia, Syria, Persia, Greece, and more. The seeds sown by the sons of Noah, Japheth, Ham, and Shem are seen sprouting into different nations and diverse peoples. What a fascinating revelation it is, this chapter. It paints a picture of our interconnectedness and unveils God's grand design in creating this colorful mosaic of nations. I feel moved to mention Genesis 9.13 at this point. The verse says, I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It's a powerful resonance. It captures the heart of God's covenant with us and all of creation, a covenant of mercy, a promise of divine forbearance, and a beacon of hope for every generation to come. Truly, what an epic journey we're on. These chapters, while often overshadowed by other narratives, contain profound theological insights that truly deserve our attention. Let's start with the concept of covenant theology. When we delve into Noah's story, we're witnessing the first explicit covenant laid out in Scripture. 
This isn't just an agreement between God and humanity, mind you, but a pact involving all living creatures. Now, we often find ourselves fascinated by the rainbow, the symbol of this covenant, but we mustn't overlook the significance of the covenant itself. This promise, given unilaterally by God, shines a light on his boundless mercy and steadfast love. It clearly shows us that our relationship with God isn't a quid pro quo arrangement, but a divine relationship steeped in his benevolent grace. Let's ponder next on what I'd like to call the sacramental view of creation. Consider the rainbow once more. It's an ordinary natural phenomenon that God imbued with extraordinary spiritual significance. This sets the stage, doesn't it, for sacramental theology, where mundane elements of creation become carriers of divine grace. In this sense, we can view all creation sacramentally, each piece pointing beyond itself to God's profound mercy and love. Then we have Genesis 9-6, a verse that powerfully speaks to human dignity and the sanctity of life. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. This passage reiterates the inherent dignity of human life, reminding us that we are all made in God's image. It anchors the understanding of life's sanctity, which is fundamental to Catholic social teaching and, indeed, the respect for life in general. Lastly, we find ourselves before the Table of Nations in Genesis 10. Here we glimpse the divine tapestry of unity amid diversity. This chapter reaffirms our common origin and unity, while simultaneously celebrating the diversity of nations. Any form of ethnocentrism or racism, it suggests, contradicts God's design. This understanding can trigger a shift in our perspective towards loving our neighbor, who could be from a different nation in terms of race, language, culture, or religion. Friends, each of these insights invites us to revisit Genesis 9 and 10. Not as an ancient chronicle gathering dust on a shelf, but as a vibrant, relevant source of theological and ethical wisdom that can enrich our lives today. It's my hope that these insights will deepen your appreciation of these chapters, and indeed, of our incredible biblical heritage. These chapters can often stir up questions and cause a bit of head-scratching. First off, there's that intriguing question, why on earth did Noah curse Canaan? You'd think Ham would be the one in hot water, since he was the one who showed disrespect towards Noah. Here, we find a pivotal example of etiological narrative. The Catholic understanding suggests that this text primarily serves to explain the historical subjugation of the Canaanites by Israel that came later. Importantly, this curse isn't aiming to morally justify these events. Rather, it's mirroring the historical perspective of the authors. Next, we come across God's command about not consuming blood in Genesis 9-4. It might seem an odd stipulation to throw into the mix. But in the ancient Jewish understanding, blood symbolized life, something given only by God. So if one consumed blood, it was seen as overstepping into God's territory. This deep respect for life is thus a fundamental part of the covenant. Now let's consider the table of nations in Genesis 10. It might initially strike you as a rather dry list of names, but here's the fascinating part. It's actually an effort by the biblical authors to underscore our unified origins, to highlight the fact that we all share the same humanity, while also celebrating our incredible diversity. Think of it less as a precise historical account and more as a grand theological affirmation. 
Finally, there's an unfortunate misinterpretation floating around, tying the curse of Canaan to the justification of racial slavery. This misuse of Genesis 9.25 has, erroneously, been used to defend the enslavement of African peoples by identifying them with Canaan. Let me clarify, this is a grave misinterpretation. The Catholic Church firmly maintains that every form of racism or racial discrimination starkly contradicts the fundamental biblical belief in the equal dignity of all human beings, created in the likeness of God. Genesis chapters 9 and 10 do often raise eyebrows, but these are excellent opportunities to dive deeper into the rich, layered theological and ethical perspectives embedded within these chapters. Now, while these chapters might not appear to make direct prophetic pronouncements about the Messiah, they do subtly lay some foundational stones for the messianic narrative that blossoms throughout the rest of Scripture. Let's begin with the covenant with Noah. This agreement God strikes up with Noah, along with every living creature, is the first explicit covenant to make its appearance in the Bible. But it's more than that. This covenant sets the stage for us to grasp the later, more pointed covenants God establishes with Abraham, Moses, and David. Each one of these covenants nudges us further along the path leading to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the embodiment of the new and everlasting covenant. This initial covenant with Noah is a tangible testament to God's all-encompassing care for creation. This theme beautifully dovetails with the universal salvation Christ brings to all. Moving on to the line of Shem. Genesis 10:22 through 31 sketches out the descendants of Shem, one of Noah's sons. It may initially come off as a straightforward genealogical list, but look closer. From Shem's lineage springs Abraham, then David, and ultimately Jesus. This line forms a crucial part of the genealogical promise that culminates in the birth of the Messiah, silently signaling God's plan in motion across the generations. Finally, we arrive at the unity and diversity of nations. The table of nations outlined in Genesis 10 recounts the dispersal and diversity of nations across the earth. This setup provides a backdrop for grasping God's grand plan for unity under Christ. When we flip to the New Testament, we see Jesus, the Messiah, dispatching his disciples to every corner of the earth, Matthew 28:19, A clear indication that his saving grace is meant for all peoples, not just a single nation. So friends, even if these chapters don't contain explicit references to the Messiah, they are woven with elements that bolster the emerging story of God's messianic plan. It's all about reading between the lines and joining the dots. Next, I want to dive into the rich and diverse ways Catholics and Protestants interpret Genesis chapters 9 and 10. While these two traditions share much common ground, they do offer distinct perspectives shaped by their unique theological emphasis and interpretative traditions. First off, let's look at the sacramental perspective. Now, Catholics often read a sacramental undertone into the covenant sign, the rainbow. They see it as a forerunner to the sacraments within the church, where tangible signs become vehicles of God's grace. On the flip side, Protestant theology, while not dismissing sacraments, often places a stronger emphasis on the word, leading to a less pronounced sacramental perspective. Next, let's talk about scriptural interpretation. Catholics usually navigate scripture using a balance of literal, allegorical, moral, and anagogical, or eschatological, senses, guided by the magisterium, the church's teaching authority. 
This approach allows for a range of interpretations. For instance, one might see Noah's Ark as a symbolic representation of the church, offering salvation amidst the world's metaphorical floods. Many Protestant traditions, particularly those molded by Reformation-era Biblicism, tend to lean more heavily on the literal sense of Scripture. Finally, we come to human cooperation within God's covenant. Catholics generally underline the importance of human participation with God's grace. Take Noah, for example. While his righteousness is a response to God's grace, it's Noah's active cooperation with God's instructions that leads to his and his family's rescue from the flood. Some Protestant traditions, notably those within the Reformed fold, accentuate God's sovereignty to such a degree that human participation might seem less crucial. Within the Catholic worldview, these interpretations are deemed true and correct, as they're rooted in a long-standing interpretative tradition, guided by the Church's magisterium, and integrated into a holistic faith vision. This vision encompasses sacraments, the communion of saints, and the crucial role of human freedom and cooperation with God's grace. Scripture truly does unfold in a symphony of interpretations. And lastly, as we delve into Genesis chapters 9 and 10, it's amazing how these ancient texts still speak into our lives today. Let's talk about Noah for a moment. Now here's a man who truly embodies obedience. Faced with enormous challenges, he sticks with it, trusts in God's promises, and builds that ark. He's a role model for us. We, too, are summoned to obedience, to heed God's voice in Scripture, deep within our hearts, and in the teachings of our church, even when it feels tough. Now, the covenant God establishes with Noah and all living creatures paints a beautiful picture of God's boundless mercy and love for every bit of creation. And that rainbow, the sign of the covenant, serves as a reminder that calm follows every storm. We all face storms in life, don't we? Personal trials, societal issues, looming environmental threats. Yet, the covenant gives us hope. God stands with us amidst the storm and leads us towards a fresh start. In God's command against consuming blood, the emblem of life, we are reminded of life's sacredness. Today, we grapple with a slew of life-related issues, from abortion and euthanasia to caring for refugees and migrants and stewarding our planet. But we can draw strength from Genesis to uphold the worth and dignity of all life, honoring our Creator's mandate. Finally, our text gives us the Table of Nations, a stark reminder that despite our cultural, linguistic, or national differences, we all spring from a common origin. We're all children of God. In a world still moored by division and discrimination, it's our calling to champion unity and brotherhood. I pray these reflections from Genesis inspire us to live out our faith authentically as we strive for a more compassionate, just, and peaceful world. Well, my friends, we've come to the end of another enlightening journey through the scriptures. We've ventured through Genesis chapters 9 and 10, delving into the profundity of the covenant, the beauty of the rainbow, the sacredness of life, and the unity amidst diversity. As we step away from this conversation, let's keep these truths close to our hearts and let them shape our interactions with the world. In this way, we'll ensure that the timeless wisdom of Scripture continues to inspire and guide us in our daily lives. Until we meet again in the next episode, may we, like Noah, faithfully respond to God's voice in our lives.
May we cherish the rainbow moments of hope amidst our storms. May we affirm the sacredness of every life. And may we be peacemakers, bridging divisions, and promoting unity. Thank you for joining us on this theological journey. May God's peace and blessings be upon you and all those you hold dear. Until next time, this is Dr. Augustine Newman signing off. Stay blessed. You've been listening to Vox Day, Unfolding Scripture, hosted by Dr. Augustine Newman. Thank you for joining us on this journey into the heart of the Bible. We hope you found today's episode enlightening and inspiring. If you enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review our show on your favorite podcast platform. This helps us reach more people and continue to provide meaningful content. Don't forget to share Vox Day, unfolding scripture with your friends, family, or anyone you believe could benefit from delving deeper into the Word of God through the Catholic lens. Your support truly makes a difference. We're grateful for your company and we look forward to meeting you again in the next episode. Until then, keep the faith, stay open to the Word, and may God's peace be with you.